0: When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen, or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Pugliol or PK and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Welcome to episode 419 of the Barcelona podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm John Hilton, and he is drum roll, please. Well, no, he's Princess Tomas. We'll get that. <laughs> we'll get into that. Where you've been the last
1: few weeks in a second, but how's everything going wherever you are now? Things are going great. Uh, thank you for asking, Dan. And obviously, good to hear and see that um, the podcast continues to, was, to, to go strong. Things have been good. Been attending many World Cup matches. Uh, then I went to Disney World. I'm currently in Wales, therefore, sporting this top. And uh, yeah, things are good.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, with Wales playing the US a little bit ago, I wouldn't have wanted to see that that jersey a few weeks, but you know, we got the 1 1. So who cares about that? But as you mentioned, yeah, all right, we'll get into the beef of it because, Frances, so for those who didn't know, you happen to have your permanent residence in Qatar, though hard to be yeah. specific, and you happen to go to a bunch of games. So yep. first and foremost, I think we'll go through the list here, which games, if you can try to rattle them off, which games did you see so we know which ones exactly to, do you bother me about?
1: Okay, so the one you mentioned, I was there in the in the stadium,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the 1-1 against the US. I watched the first England game in which they scored, I think it was 6-2, uh, if I don't remember co- uh, correctly. Then the first Spain game, uh, pretty, pretty much the only good one that Spain played, the 7-0 win, Second one with Wales, um, I was there too, I think it was with Iran. Then I watched Denmark and someone that was really loud, Tunisia. Um, another Iran game, that was the second Welsh game as well. And uh, I think that was it. There was another one, but I honestly can't remember now. <laughs> yeah, were all, It was all a blur. It, it all happened really quickly because I was only in Doha for the first week of the World Cup. So I had two or one or two matches on any given day, and uh, it was quite intense. It was lovely, but it was intense.
0: Well, yeah, in context here, your wife is from Wales, that's why you're in Wales right now, and so that's why yeah, yeah, of course, the, the jersey yeah, yeah. makes a little bit of sense. Uh, yeah, no worries,
1: yeah, yeah, no worries,
0: no worries. So I think with all those matches that you saw, now unfortunately for you, yeah, it was very much repeat teams, right? So unless you're finding somebody from Wales or somebody from Iran, who stood out to you watching them live? Maybe I mean you could even, I guess, start with the Spain match, but Anybody who stood out to you live?
1: Honestly, the team that stood out was Spain. I did not expect seven goals to come on that match. Obviously, we now know what happened after, which wasn't amazing, to be honest. But being there on that match, it was an Al-Fumama stadium. um, Stadium that obviously means a lot to the category culture because of the way that it's set up, because of the way that it's it's been built over the last five, ten years. And um, it was the best of what Qatar had to offer in that respect. And the game itself, I mean, I was watching Spain in the World Cup for the first time ever for me, which actually meant a lot. But um, the goals just kept coming. So many different goal scorers. And to me, that was the team that really stood out. Um, Gabi, Pedri, um, and even Jordi Alba, to be honest, were amazing on that game. And um, it was good to see so many Barca players doing well. But um, I I thought Asensio was spectacular in playing the false nine and dropping to the sides. I thought Ferran had a good game as well. So watching them live, honestly, I thought Spain could have gone all the way and won the whole World Cup, uh, but they, they seemed to stall later on. As for the the loudest crowd, I think Tunisia was insane. Um, it was in Education City Stadium. I actually worked next to Education City. So um, to me, it was like a home game for myself. I was literally 10 minutes away from where I normally work. And, um, it was so loud because the, the stadium was, is designed in a way in which the sound bounces back down. And there were so many Tunisians in the country. Obviously, lots of residents are from Tunis. And, uh, the, the, the sound was, to be honest, a bit scary at times because they were so passionate. But, um, it wasn't an, an atmosphere that I've been to many bars in Madrid and, and I think it compared. So, you know, I wasn't there in week two or week three, but, when Morocco played that semi-final, that must have been very similar. But um, I do think that Tunisia's crowd uh, really stood out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the attendance numbers from this World Cup, I think, are a bit helter skelter with what you can find, what's true and what's not. But as you made mention too, that match that you saw, that Denmark Tunisia match, I remember watching it at home. It was pretty. I mean, it was pretty boring. Like the match itself, like being played yeah. sitting my <laughs> it's not a great match. And I think, as you mentioned, like the one thing we do forget in those kind of atmospheres is that especially where the the world cup is located now this year, that Tunisia Morocco had such an advantage with just a sheer number of fans that they had. So, you know, I'm not defending the way that Spain played, right. I'm not defending the way that Portugal played against Morocco. I'm not defending the fact that they won their group. I'm not defending the fact that France got upset by Tunisia, but speaking of those results, having been there at the stadium, right. That Tunisia, there was a way for them to get a draw against Denmark and to beat and to upset France in that way. And there's a way that yeah. Morocco could win their group and to, to be as dominant as they were in the, the quarterfinals and the, the round of, what was it? Yeah, the first round against against Spain in the knockout. So speaking of Spain, though, that was the last time. So I guess consider yourself privileged because that was the last time we'll see Sergio Busquets with the national team because he announced yeah. his retirement today from international football. Do you mm-hmm. think that it was time? Do you think it was, it was that moment for Sergio Busquets to walk away?
1: It was. It was. I think that he's given a lot for many, many years. Um, He's a European champion. uh, He's a world champion. And he's a player with the third amount of caps in Spain's history. Obviously, we're not going to come here and discover what Busquets can do. He is a generational player that has dictated the way that not just Spain, but also Barca have played for many, many years. So I honestly don't think he's got more than six, seven months left at Barca because um, it is quite clear that his mind is beginning to be elsewhere. Uh, he's someone that, especially in his three, four first seasons, seemed to be like an octopus. He looked he used to get to, into every ball. The, the style of football has changed over the last 10, 15 years. And it is clear that the speed that he's lacking uh, and not covering as much ground is affecting him. For the national team, if you want Spain to be able to compete with your Argentina, France, and the different teams that have made it far in the World Cup this time round. And obviously going forward two and even four years, I think it's quite clear that we need someone more speedy in there. Uh, In terms of quality, he could play until he's 90. But I think that football has changed and it was time for Busquets to, to put that Roja away a little.
0: It's always interesting after every World Cup cycle when these legends choose to retire. Like for me, I said... Luka Modric, I mean, he might have already retired from international football by the time we hear this, but because of his importance to Croatia and the number of players that can do what he can do in that national team, I can, he's one of those guys where even though he's 36, again, age, basically from 33 to like 38 in world football, it's kind of like a case to case basis, right? Like how much do they have left in the tank and things like that. Now we know that for Ronaldo, his age is his limit, (laughs) like he should have probably already taken that step back. I mean, he could have been invited, but he wouldn't have been a, I mean, if he wasn't a primary figure, but for Modric, because of his importance to Croatia, I could see the Federation even asking him to stick around through the Euros. Right. But I yeah. think we know this is his last world cup. And then we'll see, I mean, even no matter what happens, whether he wins the World Cup or not, like Messi is going to be a question mark afterwards. And then even the likes of Olivier Giroud is interesting because Giroud very much like Busquets for France can kind of do that job for a while still. Like he is still, I mean, he's in his mid thirties and he was supposed to be the backup to Benzema. But, mm-hmm. you know, Benzema, even though he could be healthy now, he was at home and Giroud was getting to do his thing. and He's a starter. And he's, he's old enough to do again that job, to be the guy, yeah. the reference porn up top. So for Giroud, with the amount of talent that France have, though, I could expect that he's going to retire potentially from international football after this one. Even though it looks like he still has plenty left in the tank, uh, yeah. So n- the next thing to, to speak about, I think, now, Frances, I didn't warn you for this, and as people know, you kind of <laughs> like running, so I don't, oh, expect, I don't expect you to have answers to this. But I'm going to do mine first, so that if you do have a team of the tournament in the uh, in the chamber, you come up with a few names that I missed, then I would mm-hmm. love to do that. You, we can you can add it, and we can work together through it, but. So I do have my 11 right now, my team in the tournament. The final is not going to change that because I have some Argentina players and some <laughs> French players in here already. And again, one match after the other six are not going to change it. So my goalkeeper of the tournament, I think Shezny deserves a little bit of an honorable mention here, a shout out, the Polish goalkeeper. But I think the goalkeeper of the tournament was the Croatian goalkeeper in Dominic Livakovic whether it was the PKs, again, getting Croatia defensively all the way to the final, the way he did. Uh, so that's my goalkeeper of the tournament then my back line is Teo Hernandez, the left back from France. Gavardiol, the Croatian yep. center back. I know he got messied, but we've all been messied. Everybody's... <laughs> um, Harry Maguire, actually, from England, was the, the, the other center back. I can't believe I'm saying Harry Maguire in a team of the tournament at the World Cup, but here we are. Yeah, and, then, I know. and then the right back is obviously um, Hakimi, Morocco's right back. Yeah. It has to be Hakimi. Because my midfield here is Amrabat is a defensive midfielder of the tournament, Morocco. I'm not saying that he deserves to be playing at a top six club in in, in the UK or Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich, but I am saying that al was the best midfielder over the course of a month. That's what he was. And, and when I say midfielder, I, j- I mean defensive midfielder in particular. And then that second midfield spot, I mean, was, or that first interior midfield spot, really, really difficult here because I think Jude Bellingham was good for England. And for those who listened to the second show last week, I disagreed with Levan quite a bit, and I'll disagree again. If the Netherlands had beaten Argentina, which they were very, very close to doing, yeah. then I think it had to be Frankie de Jong. I think Frankie de Jong was maybe the Netherlands' best player, so Frankie de Jong was an option. They won their group, I'll remind you, probably pretty emphatically, and that's why we didn't talk about it because that final match day in that group wasn't a talk- talking point because Netherlands dominated. And you know, I've already given Croatia credit with Gavardiol and Likavo- Livakovic so I think for Luka Modric, I have to kind of, you know, pass on him for that reason. I already, you know, have two other Croatian players. And then I think the other option would be Ohani from Morocco. I think, yes. Anthony, I think was definitely an option. And I, but I already said Amrabat. And then I have to say though, even though he stunk it up in the quarterfinals against Morocco, Bruno Fernandes from Portugal also deserves a shout. He was really good during that, that group stage. So I think between Ohani and Frankie Young, I think that's where I'm at there with, the, with that one-two combination because my other midfield spot is already set in stone. I didn't say his name yet. So don't give his name away, but between Frankie Young and Ohani, who's your other midfielder of it, uh, the, other, your interior for the tournament?
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: Grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod.
1: I would say that you've already mentioned him. I think Bellingham from England was insane. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched him play live, which to be honest, uh, gives you a different perspective. I actually had a seat behind the keeper, so you, you, I had the view mm-hmm. of the 1994 European Club Soccer um, video games and the the amount of space that he covered, the amount of duels that he won, and the clarity that he gave the, the English team was was crazy. We cannot forget that he's a really, really young player coming into a high-pressure environment, which is playing for England. Obviously, I do realise it is a World Cup and playing for any country is difficult. But I think with England comes the expectation of, of you just have to win the World Cup or it's going to be considered a failure. And to come into the team and, and make, having that impact was was insane. Um, out of everyone you've mentioned as well, I think it's very hard to disagree with anything. I just want to mention the importance that El Divo Martinez has for Argentina. Right. Um, I think that he, obviously Messi is the captain and that's clear for everyone that's listening to this podcast. But I think that Messi's backbone is El Dibu. Um If you think about it, every time that Messi scores a goal, he goes and hacks him. Uh, every time he saves a penalty, that he is. And uh, I think that relationship that they have uh, because we know from the many years that Messi was at Barca and we were fortunate to have him at Barca, that he's someone who needs to be surrounded by the right people, which is one of the reasons why El Kun Aguero signed for Barca, which is one of the reasons why El Kun Aguero has gone again with Argentina this time round, even though not as a player, mm-hmm. but um, as a let's give him a job behind the scenes. And I think that, this, which is something like Pinto used to do at Barca as well, right? Yep. So... I think that the relationship that Dibu has with Messi has helped Messi be uh, the, the, the cheerful, voiceless, ambitious leader that he is on the pitch, because I think that's one of the main differences between um, vintage Argentina-Messi and Argentina now, um, the Messi-Argentina now, because he's, um, his personality seems to have changed. And I think that the environment that El Dibu is, is creating for him has really helped, but obviously his contribution on the pitch I think is second to none in this World Cup.
0: Yeah, I would, I agree with that. I would also say for Messi's, we'll say, quote-unquote personality, I think it's it's he's it's been whatever, and this is the perfect captain, it's been whatever it's needed to be based on the match, right? Because we, yeah. we saw him bare his teeth, right, <laughs> against the Netherlands. And then when it's time to play joyful football again against Croatia, he does it, right? And he goes out and he has yeah. some fun and, and everything is jovial and, and, and bright. And he was going to be meeting my other midfielder in the final because... My other midfielder, I'm cheating a little bit here, but Antoine Griezmann is the attacking midfielder for France, and it's Griezmann. Griezmann has been arguably the player of the tournament. That is the other midfielder. There is no argument. It's got to be him. Uh, yeah. now, now, up top, I think we have two spots that are set in stone. Obviously, someone's going to win the Golden Boot, probably, and that means they're going to win the World Cup, too. So it's Kylian Mbappe or Messi. One's going to win the Golden Boot, and, one is probably, and that player is probably going to have won the, the World Cup. Uh, we'll probably see it go that way. And then for Mbappe, though, he also means on the left wing, that means that Cody Gakpo... Of the Netherlands gets an honorable mention, not a shout. Marcus Rashford, who you saw again in person, he gets yeah. a shout, honorable mention, doesn't get the spot. And then the other spot is one of three options, but I think because the way Brazil crashed out and when they did crash out, Richarlson, because again, if you talk about the group stage, probably Richarlson. But I think you have to either pick Olivier Giroud or Julian Alvarez of Argentina. I think obviously because in the final, it's got to be one of those two. So I'll let you make that final choice here. Is it
1: Alvarez or is it Giroud? No, I think that um, because of his youth and the impact that he's had in terms of being unexpected, you have to go with Julian Alvarez. I think that what that kid's doing is is crazy. Obviously, we still got one more game to go. I'm going to show my colors right now. I hope Argentina win the World Cup. Um, I said that from the very beginning. I was obviously, yeah, I was obviously rooting for Spain. But um, Messi has given us, me personally, so much over the years that I really do hope that he retires with that, um, with that trophy. And I think Julian Alvarez is doing something that um, Iguain, throughout all of these years, couldn't really do, which is take responsibility of him. The guy creates his own goals. I mean, the one he scored in in the last game, I think it was a semi-final, in which he just ran the whole pitch and uh, (laughs) fell over a couple of people, but continued to go and then ended up scoring the goal. That is something that Messi has never really had, even when he made the World Cup Finals with Argentina before, is someone who can take responsibility and create their own goals, their own opportunities. Uh, Normally, in Argentina, everything flows through Messi's boots, and if Messi has a great game, They've got a better chance of winning. If Messi doesn't have the best game of his life, Argentina will certainly not win that one. Um, but I do think that's not the case right now. I think that he's surrounded by a very supportive and independent cast that don't always depend on him. And uh, just for that, I will give it to Julian, Julian Alvarez. But obviously what Giroud is doing at his age is, is exceptional as well. But uh, you've already given the mention. So for me, it's Alvarez.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for for Messi, too, in Argentina, as sad as it would be to see Dembele and Koundé not get the World Cup and not come back as champions, so no Barcelona player would come back, in theory, as a World Cup champion. That said, Messi and Argentina, with Messi this being his last World Cup, you get the sense that this would be their last chance for quite some time, and because of the age of that France core, I mean, Koundé being able to stay healthy, a lot changed in four years, of course, there's always so much turnover, but... Koundé at 23, if he continues on this pass, he'll be 27 for next World Cup. You'd think he'd be healthy. You'd think he'd do some winning for Barcelona in that time. Dembélé also has at least another World Cup in him as well. He's 25, so he'll be 29 in the next World Cup. So yeah. for Dembélé and Koundé, in theory, if they continue to play at that level, and France especially, will be another favorite four years from now. There's no way. Like, even if Mbappe got hurt for the World Cup, France would still have been one of the tournament favorites like that France will get another opportunity don't you worry about them but this is for Messi and especially Messi yes his final one but even for Argentina I think this cycle there there is no one you see in that pipeline yeah they've got some young talented players but like the youngest player they brought the one teenager they brought was Tiago Almada who yeah yeah, no disrespect for MLS but he plays for Atlanta United and he's an okay player but it's not like he's one of the best players in MLS right he just he's Mm -hmm. He's expected to be a good player in the future. But yeah, that's their their teenager. And then again, they have some young players, of course, coming up for River Plate or for, for Boca Juniors. But it's nowhere near what Brazil's going to have talent-wise, even coming through. It's not what France still has coming through. It's not what Germany is, in theory, going to have coming through. It's not what Spain, you know, with Alberto Moreno or whoever, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, these are those, all those countries can, again, I'm not saying Moreno will be at the next World Cup, but I'm saying they're going to hit on some of those players, right? Like, even this yeah. one. Yearly Pinot is coming I think I did see kind of report where smoke there's fire that apparently his mood his attitude which makes sense so that a young player that Luis mckay had really worked with he didn't really think that his attitude was what it needed to be and so if he was that player that Luis mckay was talking about that makes sense so was this the only world cup that pino was going to be at and he winds up never making an appearance who knows that's what i mean like Fati can bounce back i mean who knows that Lamine Yamal from barcelona mm-hmm. can be at the next world cup as the 19 year old right as as the teenager that gets the gets the call the way that pino did this time so you don't know but speaking of that final you Know I got a text yesterday from a bunch of different friends who asked me what are the chances that Messi and Argentina have to upset Mbappe and France. And I told them that if it was a regular day, a regular game, whatever, I would say, well, how about this? If it was a quarterfinal or semifinal, I'd say not as likely, but because it is the World Cup final and because it is Lino Messi, I think it is possible. And yeah. I think the chances I give I give them like a 45% chance. France had a better team, but I, I give it 45% because I, also, the semifinal. Morocco had a a chance against France that Croatia never had against Argentina. So I, yeah, I'll throw it out there too.
1: Yeah, and I also think that um, both Argentina and France are teams that can play both types of football, meaning that they can dominate the the ball. I think obviously France are more incisive in that respect when they're when they're in control, but I think that both teams are very comfortable when they don't have it. And I think that's the main reason why Spain is not in the final and didn't progress further because Spain seemed to be really one-faced. They could control the ball, but when they didn't have it, they really suffered. And I think that both teams are very comfortable. The defensive line of Argentina, even though it doesn't have that many sort of world-class names in it, they they they, con- they get together well. They understand each other well. And uh, the record over the last, I think it was 48 games, uh, they've only lost one or two. Um, so... It is clear that Escaloni um, has found the little button to press. And then in France, the, the back line is insane. <laughs> Basically, you've got Koundé, yeah. who is arguably the best defender in La Liga in the last three years. Um, he's only found a place as a right back. So from, from that perspective, it's going to be a tight final. But again, whenever you've got Messi in your team, you have to think that you've got a chance of winning. It is clear because he said it himself that it's going to be his last game in the World Cup. Um, the last great tournament, um, international tournament that Argentina played, they won it. And, you know, that was the the thorn that Messi had in his back um, all of those years. And, you know, that he seems to have reached this Maradona God of Argentina level already. Yep. And um, winning the World Cup would be the icing on the cake. And I think that he's, he's so close to him that, and obviously the fact that he won't ever have another chance that he's going to put everything in that game. He has reached levels in terms of this Messi. He has reached levels in terms of the ability to to upset games and to find that extra gear in the World Cup that I haven't seen him do for the last eight, ten years. And I think when you've got Messi on fire, surrounded by a team that he trusts, and obviously trusts him as well, that's not something you can underestimate. And uh, France, they're a solid team. They have got very good players, world class players, I would say, in pretty much every position. But they've got, um, I understand today there was another two absences, potential absences to the starting lineup. And some of them that have been recovered from this bug that's going around the France camp. So I think you put everything into the balance, and I could not guarantee that France is going to go away with it. And I honestly think the football gods are going to be supporting Messi on this one.
0: Yeah, so I, we also have to mention the head coach for Morocco, uh, team of the tournament head coach. I gave it away. It is definitely, yeah, Walid Rakuri. He deserves it. I mean, if it was Morocco, they're the ones. I mean, it's the first African side to make the semifinal so for, for the the hope of an entire continent. He, he is the, the manager of the tournament.
1: Okay, Can so- I say on that, Dan, as well? So it is the, the team of the continent for Africa, but it's also the Arabic speaking champion. Yeah, because um, with the World Cup being in Doha obviously Arabic is the first language there. And all of the Middle Eastern countries, Saudi, Oman, Kuwait, Bahrain, uh, obviously the Emirates, they had the whole of the African continent behind them, but also the Arabic speaking countries. So it really was that they became the epicenter of the Arab world. And having lived in Doha for four and a half years now, I thought that was pretty special. And if it was to happen in any World Cup, I was happy that it happened in in the one in doha but obviously i'm not too happy that they beat spain but that's that aside we'll have to put that behind
0: all right, so we do have a little bit of time to talk about Barca because, as I keep saying throughout the break, I mean, people don't really come here for their World Cup stuff. No. I, can say that number, number, I can see the numbers, unfortunately. So while it has been a rough month, I've taken it on the chin. I'm hoping that everybody returns when Barca returned as well because, again, you come here for the Barca stuff. So with Frances Tomas in tow today, we do want to talk about the expectations for the rest of this season <laughs> because the positive for Barcelona coming out of the World Cup, and this is the most positive thing, that even if no Barca player have had have won the World Cup, it seems like they've generally stayed healthy and it seems like they're doing all right. It seems like all of them are, are going to be with a, a week or two of rest, um, ready to go for the second half. And with the exception of Lewandowski missing the first three games, that I'll remind you, it seems, like, again, this team is, again, ready to got, have got some play in. They have not been off for too long and they might be able to hit the ground running. So that is a positive. But yeah, what are your expectations between the Copa, Del Rey, between getting, well, really kicking off? And La Liga, which Barcelona, remember, are top of the table, as well yep. as the Europa League, where they find themselves, again, with some pretty difficult competition in the Europa League, by the way.
1: Well, I do think that um, having no Barcelona players winning the World Cup, maybe there, there are two. Hopefully there aren't. <laughs> but um, if we only have two World Cup winners in the squad, that's only going to add more hunger to the team, uh, which is what I think we need. I'm not going to change my tune from what it has been throughout the season. I think we've got a more than a good enough squad to win La Liga, for sure. I think that the growth that Gabi, Pedri, Valde have experienced is something that we need to build on. I think that Frankie de Jong, as well, is, even though that, obviously, he had one foot in, one foot out throughout the whole of the summer, um, he's establishing himself as one of the one of the leaders in the team. I think that Busquets last season needs to be um, needs, needs to be built on and um, he will want to leave with a win. And uh, I think Dembélé, as you've already mentioned, being healthy is important up front. I think Lewandowski still is one of the best strikers in world football. And I really don't see a reason why we shouldn't win the, the La Liga. Obviously, we crashed out of the Champions League. Um, I'm sure you've spoken about it in the podcast before. a couple of um, referee decisions not going the right way. But then again, yeah. yeah, but then again, if you're gonna balance everything on the referee, then you haven't really looked at yourself uh, well and hard enough. So we just need to accept that we're out and I think that um, that's gonna be an advantage because the players won't be as tired. And I think having the five substitutions is good. I it's proven good this year. Because the players can get more rotation, have more players involved. I never really rate La Copa very highly, but obviously it is a competition that we could win um, and could give um, enough of, um, you know, enough of opportunity and, and minutes to the players that are not normally regulars. But honestly, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't challenge for both competitions until the very end. And then if there's a team that's better, e.g., Madrid, then then so be it. But the expectation needs to be fighting until the very last game for both competitions for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, the quote-unquote positive here when speaking about the Europa League, of course, is that the Europa League doesn't kick off again until the middle of February when it's that home and away with Manchester United, which is a team that Barcelona, yeah. you know, is another big powerhouse who will find themselves in the Europa League, but it's a team that Barcelona should, should beat. It's unfortunate, but the Spanish Supercopa is also taking place in January. So we'll see. There's the opening fixture against Real Betis. But yeah, they start the break with Espanyol, Atletico Madrid, and with... Things kicking off in two weeks' time. We're gonna—I'll preview those matches a little bit more and have those conversations in the next two weeks. What else are we gonna talk about? You know, you did mention Busquets, and I've been—we did it last week, and we can do it again this week, especially with him. Now we're talking from international duty. You, I don't know if him at, uh, retiring from international duty is a statement that it could just be a statement about uh, about Spain, but it could be a statement about where he sees himself in his career as well. Yeah. So, as I said before, my oh my, what is he? What does Xavi and Barcelona do with Busquets? And as much as it seems like the decision is Busquets's, whether or not he wants to to leave, it also seems like Barcelona's money situation is so bleak that it's shaping up to be bleak until 2024. And now Barcelona is saying, well, Busi, you know, you've been, you know, you could leave or maybe you could just return on a really uh, low number for us so that, you know, we can get through this really difficult year, which would be next season when you can't afford anybody. So again, I, I just want to change the narrative a little bit that, While it is Busquets' decision whether or not he stays or goes, there is this world where the club would love it if he left because they could want to replace him. And there is now a world financially where the club cannot, physically cannot, uh, not even replace his spot on the field, but replace his spot in the squad. So there is a world where next season, Busi renews, but only starts 35% 35% of games. Like, I just want to get people prepared for that. He is, even though it's harder or it looks like it's harder to get him out of the, 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 the club. There is a world where next year, Frankie de Young is starting as your defensive midfielder. I'm not going to call him a pivot, but defensive midfielder with Gabi and Pedri around him. And that trio, who we only saw starting against Real this year in a four, nothing win. There's a, there's a world where that trio starts 56% of games or 60% of all games or 65% of all games. And then again, you have, you have Busquets rotating in and you have whoever else rotating in as well. We'll see if Frank Kessier is still around and what that means for the future. But um, And as far as Jules Koundé, another World Cup-related question, would you play Jules Koundé at right-back when he returns, or is it Araujo at right-back, or do you trust Roberto or Bellerin in that spot? I mean, because now you, in theory, have four right-backs, and you've got i mean, you've got enough center-backs.
1: It just depends who you're playing. Um, I think that um, if you're going to play... Your Getafe, Leganes, Levante type of team, it doesn't quite matter which one of those three plays. Um, the three of them should be able to influence the game enough from the wings and, and be effective defensively so that we can beat those sort of teams. If you're talking about playing Atletico Madrid and and Man United and Real Madrid, then obviously it's making the choice. And for those high-caliber games, I think Kunde to me, is the starting right back in that position. And then you choose between the many centre-backs we have to complete the middle. I, I would say Araujo and Eric Garcia, for me, are the preferred pairing in the middle, even though Christensen has been good too. And then Kunde has to go to the to the right side.
0: I think it should be Raúl and Christensen. To be honest, like I think Christensen, we saw him at the World Cup. He was Denmark's best player. And we've seen him this season. For what Barcelona is trying to do, Like, and I think that's... I don't know, It's it, it's funny because... If Barcelona in this perfect world, it's it's always in practice much different than on, than you know on paper because on paper, I think that the Champions League winning center back combination is Araujo and Kunde. I think they're the ones with the highest ceiling. That that's the duo that you look at and say, oh that that duo was good enough to win the Champions League. But Barcelona are, again are fighting in the Liga, which isn't the deepest league anymore, and they're fighting in the Europa League, uh, Europa League, and they're fighting in the Copa del Rey and Spanish Super Cup. So I think that all those competitions. I think Christensen and Araujo are a combination that win you that with Kunde at right back. If that makes any sense, because I, I agree with you. Like against Adafe, like it's got to be Roberto Bayerine I'm so sorry. I don't know. I don't know where you belong. Maybe you belong playing for Adafe on the other side, like with his performances this year. To be honest, like it's been rough for Bayerine. But anyway, yes, yes, Bayarin should be good enough to play against Adafe again, Roberto. But yeah, it, it is this weird thing where on paper I think it should be Araujo and Kunde winning the Champions League. But again, when it comes to match in and match out, I think the, the best back four is Balde, Christensen, Araujo, Kunde. with Koundé and Christensen's yeah. ball-playing abilities surrounding Araujo, if anything. Because then with Araujo, you, not say you can't really have Bayerine, but Bayeren gets forward in the way that he does, and then that puts a lot of pressure. Because I, I want to remind people when Araujo comes back that we know what he does well. He's Barcelona's best defender. He's one of the best defenders in the world. But other teams, and we've seen it in the World Cup too, as far as the way teams are playing. As you mentioned, the best teams of the World Cup are those who are able to play in multiple ways over multiple phases. And Morocco and Croatia, them getting to the final is no surprise. Like, because they weren't just defending, defending, defending for their lives. They were sitting in, they were absorbing pressure. And it's what, and it was their ability to come out of their shell. And when they had to push forward, we saw against France that when Morocco, Did not have. They had to have more possession. They were kind of fine in that instance, and they put pressure under. uh, uh, They put France under pressure in that second half in particular. So you know, for Barcelona, they're going to have other teams sitting back and saying, "Hey, Araujo, with your feet, beat us. Beat us with your feet. Can you do it?" And we saw in the preseason against Real Madrid with Araujo at right back. That they were able to do that, like there were there are moments when he finds a way through. But I to remind people that as far as Barcelona and the problems that we saw at the World Cup with the styles at the World Cup, Xavi has to figure out a way to be able to play multiple phases and to push forward with that. And having Busquets in the middle of your field is going to continue to make that an issue. And having Araujo as a uh, with with his inability, if you will, to break down the press or break lines with his passing, that's going to be a continued issue. And it, it is interesting too that the way that. The, the matches played out with the world cup. I always say this, that the, those styles kind of dictate world football as silly as it is. It's the same thing with the transfer where the, the world cup makes transfers get inflated. Right. And the, it all goes crazy. And I think while people, while coaches and clubs have gotten smart and wise to that, where I, I don't think this world cup, especially cause it's winter time. I don't think you're going to see some crazy, you know, he did great in the world cup. Therefore we got to get that player for 50 million. I don't think yeah. you're going to see that, but I think what you will see is I think the styles of the world cup teams are really going to look at that and say, hey, is that what's successful in world football now? And as you and I are both basketball fans and basketball is the same way, if you win, if you're the champion, if, if the best teams are playing this way, that's the way that everybody plays. It's copycat. And same thing at the World Cup, the World Cup does dictate how did the best teams play? And while you can't replace those players, those individual players, you can try to emulate and simulate the way that they did it, right? And so yeah. Morocco, what made them so successful is that they had elite wing backs, and they... While they played a bit through the center of the park, it was a lot of running and it was a lot of hard work. And your midfield didn't necessarily dictate play. Your midfield defended for their lives, worked hard while your wings and your flanks built everything up. And then you basically had a forward that his job, his job was to score goals in this series. Yeah. Just be a big guy and do that. And it seemed like those teams in this World Cup, even France, like France are playing that way, if you will. And think about their midfield. And Rabi'o has having this renaissance, but that's because Rabi'o is just running around. That's what his job is. Jomani is, you know, he scored that goal, but his job is to run around and to reset play and to get that ball and to give it to the guys who make things happen. Uh, and it yeah. seems like that's the way that football is being played right now. And so Barcelona have, I think they have, they have to find a way to you know, continue to be themselves. Sure. They're going to have the lion's share of possession in the Liga, but they have to figure out a way that's not just Dembele, because Dembele is the only one who's doing that. So without Dembele, with the exception of Dembele, how can you play in multiple phases like that?
1: Yeah, for sure. And then the other point that the World Cup has proven is what we already mentioned before and we sort of already knew is that um, it is crucial to have a deep squad. Um, I think that if you got Crimson, Eric Garcia, Araujo, even Koundé playing as center back, it's, it's having them all fresh mentally and physically to come in and do a job. Um, I think that the importance of Ansu Fati should be continue to develop in the second half of the season. Um, He didn't start that many games before the break. And to be honest, all of these less control he minutes, I think it's about time that he stopped. It's also time for him to to take that further step that we're all expecting him to take. Um, I think Ferran has enjoyed some minutes, but I'm expecting him to become even more solid. I want to put an aside here as well, because I think that um, the fact that he's going out with Luis Enrique's daughter... And the fact that he plays for Barca uh, is adding a lot of pressure on him from the media. And I've seen so many attacks coming from Marca and us, the other, you know, Madrid-based newspapers um, towards Ferran and um, blaming him for a lot of things that I don't think are that bad. Um, I, saw I mean, him even play- Kules,
0: though. Even kool like kool are. I mean, they are like, some of the guests on this podcast too that it's it's unfortunate, but the fact that Alvarez went to Man City for the number that he did. And Ferran Torres came for $55 million from Barca when they probably could have got somebody else cheaper who was yeah. going to get the same numbers of gold. Okay. I think Kules, yeah. are, they're just totally out on Ferran Torres. Like, so I think it's, you're right. The criticism is coming from outside of Barcelona. But I'm saying like criticism is also for Ferran Torres coming from inside Barcelona. Like that pressure is coming from like Kules themselves, like saying, that, yeah. hey, why was this guy so expensive? Why is he not better?
1: Yeah. But at the same time, he's a young player. Um, He's a young player that needs to continue to develop, and we we need to support him. Um, I don't think that he's having a lot less than all of the other attacking options that we have. I do think that, obviously, he's not, especially with the Barca shirt, because with Spain he scores a lot more regularly. But especially with the Barca shirt, he doesn't seem to find the net that often. But um, he does a lot of opening up spaces, a lot of dark work, like Pedro, you remember Pedrito all of those years ago, um, used to do. And uh, I do think that he's got room for improvement for sure. But I do think that some of the criticism is, is, is far too severe for what he's adding. Because if we're going to criticize like that, you should start criticizing Ansu as well. And I don't think neither of them will be as fair.
0: Yep. And, and, and when you say depth, we'll close it here that Memphis Dubai, he's the one of any player that's going to be leaving in January, it is Memphis. But as you mentioned, because of that depth, and as I said, Spanish Super Cup, and this is January, Spanish Super Cup, Copa del Rey, La Liga. I could see Barcelona holding on to him. I mean, there's also this world where they kind of figure out how far we went in those competitions. Like if they wind up playing both matches of the Spanish Super Cup and again, Copa del Rey, they don't get upset. They're they're getting to, they win their first, what, I think the first game's in January or something, or maybe the first two rounds are in January. So let's say that he winds up leaving, but he leaves on January 31st, having played six matches in January. Like, there's a world where they're like, okay, we need him for this month because of all these competitions. And then they let him go for depth purposes, depending on how far they are. Like, if they, ca- if they crash out of the Copa, that means February on, they only have to worry about La Liga and Europa League. Which is like... Yeah. But, it, but in the same regard, it's like, you don't know. With Antu's health being what it is, and look at this... We're, we're, I think this three... As crazy as it sounds, that three-match ban from Lewandowski is going to go a long way. Like, Memphis can, yeah. can find a way back. Like, I know there's still other... There is still five forwards that without Lewandowski, but I think Memphis can find his way back even in the lineup. Not to now, not as a starter, but like coming off the bench and having a role the way he did in the preseason for now, because again he's healthy, he can play. So if Memphis doesn't play coming out of the break, I think you know what that means, like pretty yeah.
1: And I think with Memphis as well, he came to us for free, so I think that the pressure that is on Ferran Torres is because of the fifty million euros that we paid for him. But um, if you think about it say, just look at this season. I don't think Memphis, the player, has added that much. And uh, to be honest, I think that... Um,
0: he's only played three matches. He's well, what I'm saying?
1: He scored one goal in
0: three matches, which means he scored more goals in minutes, X minutes, than than everyone
1: else because he, he was yeah.
0: successful the two seconds he was on the field.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, um, he was, let's just say, injured for the two months coming up to the World Cup. And then as soon as the World Cup starts, he's played 90 minutes for... For Holland. So, you know, you, you gotta so, you, you we, gotta put everything in the balance.
0: Sure. I mean I again that's one thing where it's true we can put the quotes over it, but I, I also don't blame them. Like we you don't blame a player for sitting out that month or two prior to the World Cup and playing in the World Cup when you're in your prime. I mean I think I'm not saying you and I would do it, but I think you and I would do it too.
1: <laughs> I think Well, so- i d I don't know. I don't know. But I think that um there are players being criticized that I they, like for example Ferran has shown to give Barca a lot more even despite the risk of injury than Memphis has given before so I think we need to be we need to put everything in the balance and then evaluate like that sure
0: right right because I mean Memphis looked at himself and said I didn't want to be a Sadio Mane situation right like we we can't forget what happens when you do play and you may not be 100% right before because Sadio Mane was coming into that match for Bayern Munich with a little bit of a knock and then it all gets exasperated and then yeah. he misses it and like and then Senegal certainly Senegal could have been the team to get to the semifinal from Africa with Sadio Mane because they were technically good. Kn- I mean, they were, they were a Sadio Mane away from getting to the knockout rounds. Oh no, they got to the knockout rounds. They got knocked out by England. But even yeah. against it England, like Senegal, right. So they still got to the knockout round without <laughs> Sadio Mane. So let's say they, they, they were they made a Sadio Mane up, uh, away from upsetting England. But anyway, so that is Frances Tomas. We appreciate, again, for those who don't know your Barcelona podcast history, because now I, I'm realizing that our podcast has is old enough to go to kindergarten now. Frances, so <laughs> the one that we created. So there might be there's probably many of people that, that don't remember that Frances and I started this together. He's the one who started Barcel Block. He's you know, he's the the Don, if you will. Uh that, that made all this happen. So thanks so much, Frances. Always always a pleasure to see your face.
1: Okay, likewise, man. I'm I'm really happy that um, the podcast continues to grow, continues to to move forward. Uh, thank you. It continues, let's let's say that. That's yeah fair. yeah yeah and uh really pleased that um different people are taking the mic on a weekly basis so a huge thank you to them and uh i just all success for the future hopefully i can come back at some time throughout the end of the season and we can celebrate some titles together
0: yep hopefully i'm gonna remind people too speaking of growing and moving forward we have moved forward though and started that discord so down in the show notes below jump in the discord have those conversations. I'm a little bit of an uh, old dummy who doesn't know how to use technology well, but my mods are helping me out and I figured out a way to get people to be able to talk in those text chats. So those channels are, are open now. We can start to have those conversations. Remember though, there's also the Facebook group that still exists. Twitter, Instagram is where you can chat with me as well. Then the Patreon is how we continue to make these shows and how you know you can get those without the the ads in there. Uh, So, again, that's always the incentive for Patreon. And then on YouTube as well. There's some special content that I just always do for YouTube. And, you know, we had the match review for France. We had the match review for Argentina. And I will have a match review coming out after the final as well. And then, of course, the match reviews will take a break, uh, take a week off. And then the match reviews, five headlines and stuff coming right back when Barcelona begin again for 2023. Most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, Barca. Barca.